Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 176. I'm your host, Jim Hawk, and in this session, we'll be picking up on Leviticus chapter 13 and on. But we're only going to hit the highlights. I'm going to assume you can read as well as I can. And we've also discussed that many of the rules of Leviticus are either um, done away with by the New Covenant um, by the new way of looking at things that, that Jesus gives us, or they are so self-explanatory that we don't need to spend a lot of time on them. So I'm only going to hit the high points, and this is going to be a 30,000 square, uh, a 30,000 foot uh, view of Leviticus for those reasons. So chapters 13 and 14 deal with leprosy. Not Hansen's disease, um, but many skin problems were referred to as leprosy. If you just had something weird on your skin, uh, people who developed skin problems had to leave the camp. Um, when they thought they were better, they had to show themselves to the priest. So if you, if you touched a leper, you yourself were made unclean, and you would have to show yourself with the priest. So how does this compare with Jesus' treatment of lepers? Uh, well, he not only cured lepers, he touched them, as we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 13. So you might want to write Luke 5, 13 in your margins uh, next to somewhere in chapter 13. Um, but after Jesus cured the leper, as we see in Luke 5.13, what did he say to the leper? Go what? Go show yourself to the priest. An offering was required, sacrifices. So Jesus was an observant Jew. He didn't tell the leper to not bother showing himself to the priest or to not bother with the sacrifices. But Jesus always put people before the law. So uh, Jesus' command uh, is, is a little different than what we saw in the Old Testament because uh, how would, how would, if Jesus were giving uh, the talk today on the treatment of, of a leper, he'd say, take care of the people in need and put people before the law. So what would be an example of that? You've heard me use it before. Let's say you're, uh, it's Sunday, you're going to the last mass that you could possibly go to that day. You're driving there. You see somebody on the side of the road that's injured. Do you go on to mass or do you stop and help the person? Well, you stop and help the person, right? And uh, we saw that in uh, Jesus' teaching uh, as one example, the Good Samaritan, etc., Okay, but another thing to keep in mind, another Catholic connection between what we see here. If you think that you're unclean, you have to go to the priest, right? Just as we Catholics recognize, if we think that we're spiritually unclean because of something that we've done, a mortal sin, etc., we have to, you guessed it, show ourselves to the priest. Uh, we have to confess that sin, right? And we offer up a sacrifice uh, in the sense that we are told to do penance, right? So yet another connection, Catholic connection to the, the Old Testament, right? Okay, so enough about leprosy. 
Chapter 16 talks about the Day of Atonement, otherwise known as Yom Kippur. Note in verse 6 of chapter 16, there's Aaron in his shame having to sacrifice a what? Bull in remembrance of what? His golden calf incident. Okay, so Aaron, every time he does this, it's like, yeah, okay, I remember. I did the golden calf thing, and I shouldn't have done it. But maybe this is a way for him and uh, the people who come after him in his tribe to, uh, to remember that and not repeat that. Okay, still in chapter 16, verses 7 through 10 describe a strange practice. A goat symbolically bearing the sins of the nation, is banished from the camp, symbolizing the removal of sins from the nation. What is this animal called? It's called a scapegoat. So why is a day of atonement needed if you can make your own sin sacrifice anytime? Why do you have to have a special day once a year to do that? Well, the sin of atone or the day of atonement rather is for the nation's sin. Uh, maybe like our Ash Wednesday. Um, verse 29 says that it's a fast day. So um, you know, we as a nation commit sins as well as individual sins. For example, the sin of abortion. You may not have participated in it, but uh, your leaders, uh, at least uh, in the Supreme Court long ago, allowed that, okay? So it's kind of like a national sin. Remember, we worship as Catholics, not only as individuals, but also as a community, right? And so there's the sins of our ourselves as individuals, and there is the sin of the community, in this case, the nation. So you have another Catholic connection there. So chapter 17, moving on, basically says don't drink blood and sums up why in verse 11. So let's turn to that. Uh, Leviticus 17, verse 11. Since the, uh, I'm reading, uh, since the life of a living body is in its blood, I have made you put it on the altar so that atonement may therefore be made for your own lives because it is the blood as the seat of life that makes atonement, okay? So, uh, anyway, you, you have that. Um, also, we know that in the New Testament that the atoning blood is Christ's. Drinking blood, in, in the time that, that this would have been put together, uh, probably in its oral form in the Old Testament, drinking blood was a pagan practice. And the Israelites were preparing to enter and conquer a pagan land. So that's why you don't drink blood, right? Because we don't want you to do anything that would associate you with paganism, right? We want to nip that in the bud. Okay, now we move on to chapter 18. Okay, so if, uh, if you go to chapter 18 is about sexual practices, can sum up some of these. Uh, if you go to your family reunion to try to find a date, 
this chapter is for you. So don't have sex with family members or, you know, don't have sex with your mother or your sister or anything like that. Uh, don't, some of these things, uh, I hope you don't really have to be told to do that. But bear in mind, um, they're laying out a set of laws for, hey, here's how we're going to live from, from now on as a people. So we don't want anybody to say, oh, gee, you didn't tell us that. So there's a few things that are pretty self-explanatory, okay? Also, don't have sex with animals. That's in verse 23. I uh, hope you didn't have to be told that either. Now, if anybody tells you that homosexuality is not prohibited in the Bible, and I've been told this in classes that I used to teach in person. Once or twice, somebody would raise their hand and say, a friend of mine said, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't practice homosexuality. Well, here's another of those places. I know we went over this in some depth in the early chapters of Romans there, but uh, you can underline chapter 18, verse 22, and what does it say about this practice? It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Such a thing is an abomination. And then the next thing it says is about having carnal relations with an animal. So it's kind of interesting that they, that they put that uh, together, isn't it? Now, I think we beat that subject up pretty well when we studied, you know, Romans chapter 2, etc. Um, but um, I would write this in your margins after I underlined uh, verse 22 in chapter 18, I would write C paragraphs, Catechism of the Catholic Church, or CCC, uh, paragraphs 2357 through 2359. And I know we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into that again. In, in essence, it says everyone should be treated with respect. Everyone should be treated without discrimination. But uh, the, the act of homosexuality is intrinsically, you know, disordered there. Okay, enough said about that. If you want to see more about it, read those paragraphs in the Catechism or refer to our session uh, that covers uh, Romans chapter 2. I already covered it. Okay, chapter 19 says, care for the poor. It says, uh, don't cheat or steal. Verse 18 of chapter 19, you might want to underline that, is the famous verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, command, um, quoted by the rich young ruler to Jesus. Um, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's implicit in the, in the Ten Commandments, um, but it is here. So it's, it's a, a rule to live by. And what's this in verse 19 of chapter 19? Here's a weird one. Do not put on a garment woven with two different kinds of thread. So like, don't wear polyester and, you know, a shirt and, uh, you know, cotton pants or something like that. Um, it means, so what does that mean? If, if, if is, is there any anything that we can relate to today. Well, remember, the Israelites are about to go into a pagan uh, area, right? And they're going to take that over. So it means don't dress like a pagan. Apparently, pagans did this sort of thing. 
Um, the same rationale in verse 28 of chapter 19. Do not tattoo yourselves. So if it were written today, it might be something like, uh, don't wear a t-shirt with I love Satan on it to mass. You know, I mean, because that's what a pagan would do, right? So whatever pagans do that's unique to pagans, whether it's uh, wearing clothes made of of two different uh, types of material, or whether it's having tattoos, or boiling a kid in its mother's milk, don't do those things, right? Because you want to stand out in in your actions, in your, you know, not only in your behaviors, but even in your appearance, right? And so maybe uh, examine what you're uh, what you're wearing in public these days. Would people say, "Oh, that person looks more like a Christian," or would they say that person looks more like a pagan? Uh, by the way, it's not a bad thing to wear, you know, a crucifix around your neck uh, or, or or some religious uh, symbol uh, showing your Catholic faith. Okay, moving on. Chapter twenty deals with penalties for various sins. What's this mean in verse 2? Um, anyone who gives any of his offspring to Molech shall be put to death. Well, Molech was a pagan god, right? So it means offering a child sacrifice. Um, the, the, the pagan god Molech and, and uh, the, the, you know, the pagans in Canaan do that where the Israelites will be heading. So don't offer a child sacrifice, all right? I would argue that uh, abortion is offering up a, a child sacrifice. You're sacrificing the child, whether you think of it or not. Um, you know, you are killing that child because you worship something more than God, and that is your own independence or something like that. So if God wants that child to be born, don't get in God's way, okay? By the way, last year, which was the year 2019, there were over 860,000 abortions in the United States. So, uh, uh, and there are a lot of people, my daughter is one of them, who would have loved to have adopted one of those, but can't do it because uh, the babies that we don't seem to want in America are aborted. And so we have to uh, get children uh, for adoption from other nations, and that becomes quite difficult and quite expensive and um, a lot of legal problems with that. So, uh, nothing is new, right? Don't offer a child sacrifice And um, in chapter 20, and here we are. Chapter 21 deals with more priestly rules. Verse 16 and on lists, it's kind of weird, lists some physical deformities that would disqualify someone from the priesthood. So if you have a crippled foot, you can't be a priest? Um, does that mean you're less of a person? No, but you can't be a priest. Just like if you're 63 years old, you know, you probably can't be in the National Basketball Association. You know, it doesn't make you less of a person. Um, but maybe the idea, and I don't know what the idea is. Uh, I don't have to worry about it because Deuteronomy is, uh, excuse me, because Leviticus 
has been, uh, you know, the, the rules have been done away with on that. So just speculating, maybe it's like, uh, you know, if you, if you have an obvious physical deformity and you want to be a priest, that's not a good idea because the people will be staring at you instead of thinking about the sacrifice that you're making. I don't know. That's just a shot in the dark. Don't worry about it because it was for those people at that time. Uh, chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 19 says that a sacrificed animal must be a male without blemish, as was, you guessed it, New Testament uh, connection, Christ, a male without blemish. Chapter 23 deals with the required Israelite feasts, feasts including Passover and Pentecost, which we recognize, and we've already talked about the New Testament meaning of those. So we're not going to go over those again. Um, chapter 24, I'll just say nothing that we haven't covered before. Chapter 25, we do see something new here. If you sell property outside the walls of the city, your family gets it back free in at most 50 years. So you're only selling your property for at most a 49-year lease. There's supposed to be a jubilee year at the end of, uh, you know, seven times seven is 49. And that the jubilee year, uh, you know, you, you, uh, your property gets, uh, can be redeemed, etc. cetera. Uh, why can't you sell your land for good? The answer is in verse 23 of chapter 25. It says, and this would be worth underlining, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, meaning you can't sell it forever, for the land is mine and you are all but aliens who have become my tenants. So nothing that we own is really ours, is it? It's all the Lord's. Also, in chapter 25, verse 4, every seventh year, they're supposed to not plant crops. They're supposed to trust the Lord to provide a surplus during the sixth year, per verses 20 and 21. Even the fields have a Sabbath year. Now, there's no evidence that the Israelites ever did this. So what? Well, in chapter 26... It lists the punishment for not heeding these laws. And I think we're out of time now, so we'll pick up next time with that. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, some of these laws surprise us, either because they're so obvious that we don't think that we should even need to be told, but apparently at times uh, our, we, we all need to be told things that we think we knew already. Um, we, we're, uh, we're glad that you give us boundaries, even though the boundaries of the New Testament are certainly, uh, New Covenant are certainly different than in the Old Covenant. And also help us to remember, as we, as we saw in chapter 25 here, that nothing is ours forever. Ultimately, it's all yours, and we are merely stewards. And so help us to uh, treat your world in, uh, and your environment 
with uh, with the respect that it deserves because it's not ours, it's just ours to take care of. Uh, we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.